Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Well, we're going to have some fun. And uh, you might think, man, it seems kind of morbid. Uh, wakes the dead, and you've got like skulls, and like what's like I don't really appreciate that. Like all the church people are offended with that, but you know the, the truth is uh, God used a place of the skull, Calvary, uh, to bring about the greatest victory that humanity has ever seen, and He used a symbol of death called the cross to bring life to everybody who was dead in their trespasses and sins who would believe in Him. And so it's not morbid; it's actually appropriate that. Uh, we would do this. And over the course of this series, we're going to look at different resurrection stories every week. And honestly, I was amazed when I began to study for this series, just how many different stories there are of resurrection in the Bible. I counted 11, 11. That was my count all throughout scripture. And what you see is that God is in the resurrection business. Isn't that good news? That there is nothing so far gone that God can't bring it back. There's nothing so broken that he can't heal it. There's nothing so lost that it can't be restored. There is nothing so dead in your life that God can't resurrect it. And so I just want to tell you, I don't know what brought you to church today. Maybe you came because you heard there's going to be donuts. Hey, that's great. Maybe you came with the invitation friend. Maybe you would say, hey, it's just a coincidence. But I would tell you, I don't believe it's an accident that you're here. I believe that God knew you would be here, that he has a specific thing that he wants to say to you today, that he wants to breathe new life into uh, the situations that have seemed like they're gone. And so to kick us off, uh, I want us to look at an Old Testament book the book of Ezekiel. And I got to tell you, I am excited to preach this message to you today because I have always wanted to preach from the scripture, but I have never preached from the scripture in my entire life. It's, it's kind of a well-known passage, but uh, it's kind of a strange passage, a little bit of a gruesome, bone-chilling passage, if you want to know the truth about it. And uh, the book of Ezekiel, just for a little bit of context, it's what's referred to as a major prophetic book in the Old Testament. All that means is that uh, within the Old Testament, it is one of the larger books written by someone that God called to speak on his behalf. Uh, It's 48 chapters total, if you want to read it on your own sometime. And within these 48 chapters, uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, of whom the book is named after, he records six different visions that he has. And they're all kind of fantastic and use really uh, imaginative and illustrative language and Uh, Where we're going to look today is in Ezekiel chapter 37, and I'm going to start in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can put your eyes on the screen and uh, follow along that way. But it says in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you 
will come to life. Now in this vision, Ezekiel finds himself in a graveyard and not just any graveyard. It's a valley full of very dry bones. And maybe even just that statement alone, it speaks to the way you felt about some of the promises of God in your life. In other words, these bones have been there for a while. They've been dead for a while. And maybe you feel like, like some of the things that God has spoke to you and some of the dreams that have been in your heart, some of the promises that God has spoke to you, it feels like they've been dead for a while and you've given up on them. But I wanna to talk to you today about what to do when you find yourself in the graveyard. And I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, the graveyard shift, the graveyard shift. How many of you have ever worked the graveyard shift? Anybody? I have as well. Well, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help and we'll get into this. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. God, I'm asking that you would use me today, that you would speak through me, that you would help me. God, I believe that you have a word that you want to say to these people here. And God, I ask that you'd help me to communicate it clearly. I believe you will, God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you have ever had a perfectly great day ruined by something small? Anybody? How many of that was today? Like you came in and, and you wanted that maple bacon donut and somebody ate, all, they ate the last one already? A perfectly great day ruined by something small. For me, that was Friday. It's a true story. I, uh, I, I was at home watching two of our children, our youngest children, Grant and Pippa, while my wife was out gallivanting around uh, under the guise of, I said gallivanting, that's right, under the guise of taking my middle son, Oliver, on a field trip. Now, don't worry, it's just, you know, it's, it's part of the way I live my life, putting her needs above mine. It's not about me, though, it's about the Lord. And I gotta tell you, the truth is, I was crushing it this day. True story, like, I, no joke, I was crushing it. She was out, I was home with two of our kids. We started by watching Pippa and I, we watched Beauty and the Beast, the original 1992 animated version, you know, the OG. Grant and I had played ninjas. This was a good day, and I was making them lunch, and I had to get uh, my son Grant to school. He goes to school in the afternoon, so I was getting ready to take him to school, and, and uh, I went out to my car. I had to put the car seats in my car. No, a little bit of context on this story. One thing you should know is that I had been gone earlier in the week for a few days, and, and because of this fact, I had uh, taking my car out of the garage, put it in the driveway to allow my wife, you know, just some more space to get the kids in with the car seats because I'm thoughtful like that. So I, I went out to my car to get the car seats in and I notice that my wife has taken the liberty to move my car over even further in the driveway because apparently the generous amount of space that I had already made for her was not sufficient. Now, so I look at this and I, okay, I got to get the car seats in and I should probably move my car as well uh, to make this task a little bit easier. That's when I discovered that my car wouldn't start. Now that's not the problem. That is not the thing that ruined my day. I mean, that's a simple thing to solve. You know, you jump the car, you move on. That's, that's life. The, the problem was, is that she had moved my car over so far 
that the tires were now in the lawn. Now understand, I'm not upset about the lawn. You have not been coming to church here very long if you think that I am upset about my yard. It was the fact that now, see, I got this problem. I don't like walking in the grass when I'm wearing nice shoes. Can anybody else relate to this? Like, I'm just like, don't judge me. This is my story. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't like walking in the grass when I, and on top, they had just mowed the lawn. That's right. I said they. Apparently, somebody has heard about my horticultural, agricultural struggles and has hired somebody to mow the lawn. So I don't have to do it anymore. Thank you, Jesus. But they had just mowed the grass. I didn't want to get, you know, grass clippings on my shoes. Even just talking about this, I'm getting worked up. i got to catch my breath just a minute. Just, whew, all right. Just catch my breath. Just one small event ruined a perfectly... Great day. And, you know, I bring this up because it's easy for us to complain about the circumstances in our life. But when I think about what Ezekiel had to go through, I mean, if I had to go through what Ezekiel had to go I don't even know if I would be in this room. Now, it may help to understand the context of this passage when Ezekiel is having this vision and prophesying to this people. This is during a period of time in the nation of Israel's history called the exile. The, the exile, what had happened is they had been taken captive by the nation of Babylon and their land had been ravaged. Their city had been destroyed, the city of Jerusalem. Their, their temple had been torn down and now they are refugees in a strange land. This is the context with which Ezekiel's tasked with giving them the word of the Lord. And the significance of all of this is that it caused the Israelite nation to question their faith in God. See, it had seemed to them that the promises that God had given them were, were no longer good. I mean, they were supposed to be living in the promised land. They had been living in the promised land. They, they had thought that they would have a king and have a kingdom like all the other nations. And I mean, if you know the history of Israel didn't work out for them very well when they tried that. And the reason for all of this it's because they had rebelled against God and were disobedient. So God, he allowed them to experience the fruit of that decision. And they were taken captive into Babylon. Now, it's important to understand that this is different than the Exodus. God didn't bring them back into bondage. They were in captivity, yes, but they're living like refugees. They could still own businesses. They could still go to school. They could still worship, but they no longer had a city. They no longer had a land of their own. They no longer had a temple it seemed like the promises that God had given them were dead. And so this is the state of things when Ezekiel comes to them to prophesy. On top of that, when God calls Ezekiel, he says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to speak to these people. But just a heads up, these people are obstinate and they're stubborn and they're not going to listen to you. Gee, thank you very much, Lord. Appreciate this task that, that you've given me. But in the midst of all this death and destruction, in the midst of all this doom and gloom, there would still be glimpses of hope that we would see in Ezekiel's message. And I want to take a look at just one of these hope-filled messages. Because in the passage that we read, Ezekiel 37, he's surrounded by dead and decomposing bodies. He's surrounded by a bunch of bones. It's a grotesque scene in Ezekiel 37. But it stands in contrast to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, which comes right before Ezekiel 37. That's the kind of stuff you learn about 
in seminary, really deep theological truths like that. In, in Ezekiel 36, he's seen another vision from the Lord, and he sees life, and he sees hope, and he sees restoration. And I want to read it to you. This is what God told him. It says, The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. See, the Garden of Eden is a symbol of God's original intent for humanity. It's a a symbol, it's speaking to the fact of God's original purpose. He's saying, look, my purpose is that you would grow and that you would flourish and that things would work the, the, the way they were intended to work before sin and shame came into the world. And, and God has taken Ezekiel back to, to the garden, not physically necessarily, but spiritually or in his mind. He's seeing the garden and he's saying, look, Ezekiel, I am in the business of making all things new. Man, aren't you glad that God is still in the business of making all things new? That he is still in the business of restoration. He is still in the business of redeeming. He still revives the things that sin and shame has caused to deteriorate. And you understand the nation of Israel is in trouble because of their own choices, but man, God loves to step into messes that he didn't create and and, and cause healing and and bring help. He, He loves to reach into situations that weren't his fault. And he visits people with his grace. And he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to make this nation like the Garden of Eden. And he says, these cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Now, of course, I mean, they weren't yet inhabited. They weren't yet fortified. They, they weren't yet rebuilt. But God is outside of time. He doesn't need to wait until something happens to tell you what's going to happen. And it's the same thing with your situation. He, he brings your past into alignment with his vision for your future. And he says, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cause it to flourish so that people can see that I'm the Lord. But immediately after this vision, this great vision, this vision of the garden, of things growing, of things being vibrant, of, of things being alive. Right after this, Ezekiel finds himself in a much different environment. He, he, he's transported, again, not necessarily physically, spiritually, or mentally. He has this vision to a valley where he's surrounded by not just death, but dry bones. Rotten corpses. And the scripture, it's a powerful case study in the power of surroundings. It speaks to this fact that your surroundings are either going to affect you or you can affect your surroundings. How many of you know that environments matter? Environments matter. And in fact, retailers realize this so much that, I mean, they'll study our patterns and our behaviors and our psychology to know like just what colors during what seasons are going to make us buy more 
What, what music playing is going to cause us to spend more money? Even like what fragrance, what, what smell is going to affect our spending? Environments matter. And eventually your environment will begin to change you and what's around you will get inside of you. Now, this is at least true for me. I don't know if you've experienced this for yourself, but I mean, this is why I like to be organized. I didn't say I was organized. I'm not going to lie in church. I'm just saying this is why I like to be organized because when I'm in an environment that's chaotic, that's cluttered, that's messy, it, it makes it so I can't think straight. It, it just, it bothers me. Am I alone? Is this anybody else? Like when you're in a messy environment, like you just, I just can't function. That, that, that's why like I will pick out my, my clothes the night before. Don't laugh at me. Right? I'm not bragging about this. I'm just saying, like, this is what I do. Because, I mean, the first thing I got to do in the morning is what? Put on clothes. Right? I hope so. And so if I, I mean, if I, if I don't do that, then what happens? If, if, if there's chaos around this decision, well, then I've already sent myself a message that life is chaotic. And all I'm saying is that our environment can affect everything about the way we see life. It affects the way we think. It affects our perspective. And in Ezekiel 37, he, he, the prophet, he goes into a much different surrounding. He goes from the garden to the graveyard. Have you ever had to go from the garden to the graveyard? To, to move from an environment that's peaceful and hopeful to all of a sudden you find yourself in an envir- environment that's like depressing, destructive. I think sometimes Sundays are like that. Like you come into a place where you're refreshed. You come into a place where you're getting charged up. You come into a place where you're excited about what God is doing in your life and, and you're being nourished and then Monday comes and you're like, this is, this is crazy. This is a graveyard for me. But that's what happened with Ezekiel. He, he, he goes through this shift from the garden to the graveyard, and, and sometimes, sometimes life is like that. You go from situations where you see life all around you, you see things flourishing, you see things growing, you see the power of possibility all around you. You go into situations where you're faced with the reality of something that contradicts what God has said, that seems to stand in contrast with what God has spoken, with the ideal. But I noticed that that God gave Ezekiel a strategy in this. And I want to share it with you. I believe that if you implement this strategy in your life, you'll see graveyards shift into gardens by the power of God. And here's the strategy. God says, I want you to turn the graveyard into a garden with your words. I want you to notice what he says in verse four. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when he tells them to prophesy, I got to explain this because I don't want you to get the wrong idea because I mean, we're, we're talking about like this prophet and he's having these visions and using this word prophesy and you could conjure up all sorts of ideas in your head. All he's saying when he says prophesy, he's saying speak, speak to these bones. And it's a simple instruction. Now, i got to tell you, I, I can relate to Ezekiel. I, I can relate to Ezekiel. Somewhere. I give him a nickname. I call him Easy. 
Easy E, because he's got a chronic problem, Easy E. And, 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 and Easy, uh, see, have you ever had to like speak into, into a situation that seems like, de- like, see, I've preached in some places that felt like dry bones. I'm not saying like you're the dry bones. Like, don't look at me like that. I'm just saying, like, I've had to preach in some places where the people never respond. I mean, some of you, your faces right now would not minister to anybody. I'm just saying, like, that's so I relate to easy. Uh, I, I relate to Zeke because I have compassion in my heart for him. Because he must have felt stupid saying stuff to dry bones. I mean, just like, like take some of the mystery of the Bible out of it and just pretend you're in this situation. Let's pretend you're having an encounter with God and God, he, he, he takes you in your mind. You just have this mental picture. He, he takes you to this valley of, of bones and, and God says, I want you to speak to these bones. You're thinking like, what's the point of that? What is that going to do to help the situation? But sometimes you got to do it. And here's the point that I want to tell you. Sometimes you got to stop talking about what you see. And you got to start talking to what you see. Can I tell you our problem? See, see, our problem is we spend too much time talking about our dead situations. And not enough time talking to our dead situations. God says, prophesy to these bones. And I found that most of us, we are really good about describing the bones in our lives. I mean, most of us are really good at describing the complexities in our lives and describing the disadvantages in our lives and, and describing the problems in our lives. But yet God brought Ezekiel to the middle of a valley full of dry bones. And he said, Ezekiel, I don't want you to talk about what you see. I want you to talk about what I've said. Can I help you with this? See, God doesn't need you to give a commentary on your circumstances. He doesn't need you to run around with all your friends and talk about how many bones there are and how long you've been around these bones and how long these bones have been in your life. He doesn't need you to describe the dryness of the bones and and how big the valley is. He, He doesn't need you to give a dictionary definition of the bones, to hear about your observation of the bones and your interpretation of that observation. He doesn't need any of that. And maybe you feel like your situation's different. Maybe you feel like, hey, pastor, that's great, but you don't understand the gravity of my graveyard. And you're right. I don't, and I don't know what you've been through. I don't know how long that thing's been dead in your life, but can I tell you, the more desperate the situation is, the greater opportunity there is for God to move. The the more desperate your situation is, that's what God specializes in. That's what this series is about, that it doesn't matter how dead something is, God is in the resurrection business. So the question is, are you going to affect your surroundings? Are you going to let your surroundings affect you? See, this is the decision we have to make 
in the valley of dry bones. It's a decision we have to make in the graveyard, and it's a shift in our thinking. Because all of us are surrounded by some stuff that's not working right. All of us, we're, we're surrounded by stuff that doesn't seem to come together, and we've been surrounded by it for, for so long, it, we've almost lost sight of what God wants to do in our life. And Ezekiel, he's surrounded by these dry bones, and God asks him a question. He says, can these bones live? Now, you got to understand, when God asks you a question, he's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. You know that, right? Well, when God asks you a question, he's wanting you to locate where your faith is at. And, and that's what I love about Ezekiel, because I, I like Ezekiel's response, because at least he's honest. And sometimes I think that's what God is looking for in our life, is, is just... Uh, an honest statement of where we're at because God will work with you where you're at. Hey, I, I need to know where you're at. I, I, you need to know where you're at so that we can start with this thing. And, and he says, he, he, he doesn't say, well, yeah, Lord, I mean, of course they can. Yeah, nothing's impossible. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Lord, I don't know, but you know. I, actually, he, he says, Lord, only you know. And what I love about this is he tells me that you don't even have to have enough faith to know how it can happen. You just need enough faith to know who can make it happen. He says, Lord, I don't know, but, but you know. Can I just tell you, whatever area is dead in your life, God can make it live again. You don't have to understand it you just have to receive it. Your marriage can live again. Your, your peace can live again. Your joy can live again. Your, your child can be free from that addiction. Your business can live again. That, that attitude that keeps you down in complacency can be broken on your life. Your relationship with God can live again. See, nothing is over as long as you have faith in the God who can revive it. But God wants to use you to speak life into it. See, here's the shift. And here's what I want you to, to grasp. I want to tell you how to do it. It's the only thing I have for you. Just one thing for you to write down today. It's this. To stop describing your problems and start declaring his promises. That's the shift. You gotta stop describing your problems and start declaring his promises. And I'm telling you, if you would make this shift in your life today, you would see graveyards turn into gardens. And I know, look, it sounds overly simple and it may even sound a little bit strange, but think about the context of this verse. It's a simple instruction in a strange situation. I mean, just imagine for a minute, you're Ezekiel. God, what is this going to do to speak your word in this valley full of dry bones? But see, as long as you're describing your problems, nothing's going to change. As long as you're describing what's wrong, nothing's going to change. But if you would just begin to speak what God has said, 
You start declaring God's promises to your problems. And you start speaking what God has said into your surroundings. You'll see even the dead things come to life. I'm telling you, you got to stop talking about it and start talking to it. Stop telling everybody about your disadvantages and start, start talking about what God has said. You got to stop listening to every dysfunctional thought that comes into your mind and start telling your mind to get in line with God's word. Look at what he says. That's what Ezekiel says. He says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I mean, listen to how specific he gets. He, he, he goes into great detail describing what's going to happen. He, he describes the miracle before he even sees it manifest. See, and see, lots of times we use our imagination the wrong way. See, lots of times what we do is, is we do an autopsy and all the atrocities in our life. We, we, we think about, uh, we're describing all the disadvantages and we're reciting everything that's rotten. And, and we, can, we can tell in great detail you know, why, why this won't work for us and all of our problems and how people hurt us and, and how people did wrong to us. But, but if, if you would just shift it, if, if you would start speaking about what you saw in the garden while you're standing in the graveyard, I want you to see what happens next. He says, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Do you see the detail? He's, he's describing step by step what's going to happen. And, and then this is what happened when he did next verse. He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, you don't have to wait till it's finished. Just as he started, as he started speaking, he says there was a noise, a, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And see, when he, when he said, what God had, had told him to say, things started coming together. Sometimes it seems like everything's falling apart in your life and you're wondering, when is this gonna come together? When he started speaking, what God had said, it started coming together. But here's the point, is that faith has to be released before it's revealed. You, you, you can't just wait for stuff to come together. You gotta start speaking in. And so you've been wondering when stuff is gonna start, but God's been waiting on you to start speaking. And say, I wanted to preach this sermon in such a way that, that stuff would start coming together in your life, that you would hear this. Like I was speaking just to you about, about the things in your life that have fallen apart. Because the bones started to come together. There was skin on it. And there was flesh on it. And it looked better than when he started. But, you know, just because it's covered doesn't mean it's complete. So many times we stop and feel like, okay, I've got this a little bit under control. It's better than what it was. But I'm gonna tell you, don't stop when it's covered. Stay speaking until it's complete. Put it a different way. Don't take a break. Take a breath. Take, take a breath. And I'll show you what I mean because he says, I, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. See, 
these bones turned to bodies, but they still had no breath. Until you breathe, you're just bones. See, I believe this is the reason why sometimes our life looks religious, but it has no power in it. Because we're, we're formed, but not filled. We're, we look good, but you've got a skeleton of what you could be until you're filled. And so he's not done yet. God gives him another instruction. He says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now that's kind of strange. Prophesy to the breath. He says, prophesy son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Now breath is a really interesting word in Hebrew. Because the way it's translated, there's really no distinction between breath and spirit, the, the spirit of God. There's no distinction. Every time you see it, it's, it's the exact same word. And what I wanted to point out to you is that sometimes we're so focused on the graveyard Sometimes we're so focused on all the bones that are all around us that we miss the fact that the Spirit of God is right there with us too. He says, prophesy to the breath. See, God's presence and His power and His Spirit was there the whole time. And sometimes you got to look past your immediate surroundings and see what God is doing all around you. That even in the graveyard, God's power is present. So he said, prophesy to the breath. Just breathe for a minute. I mean, you're doing it anyway, but just take a breath, right? Just take a breath. See, what happens is the devil will try to make life hit you so hard sometimes that it knocks the wind out of you. But I believe God didn't just bring you here so you could hear a sermon. But I brought you here so that you could breathe again. So he could breathe life into your dead hopes. So that he could breathe life into the dead dreams. So that he could breathe life into dead situations, dead relationships. Breathe life in, into that marriage. Breathe life to lost confidence, breathe life into what you thought was gone. And he says, verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. I'm telling you, God wants to revive what's dead in your life, but he's waiting on you to speak to it, to speak to it. So that's the question. Are you going to keep describing everything that's wrong? Are you going to declare God's promise over your situation, over, over what you're going through? 